Welcome to worship with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. This virtual worship service is brought to you in a time when we join you in practicing social distancing to curb the pandemic virus. We pray that in the not-too-distant future we will welcome you in person when you visit us in Old Town Alexandria. this time of grave uncertainty, we cling tight to God's grace and mercy. We see our limitations and our shortcomings. We know the ways in which we fall short of God's call to us. So, trusting in God's love and forgiveness, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Lord, time and time again, you defy our expectations. You cross barriers of culture and creed and look into the eyes of a stranger, and we are astonished. We confess that we are not keen to do the same. While you teach inclusion, we preserve division. While you model hospitality, we default to suspicion. Open our eyes to see your mission for what it is, the healing of the world. Astonish us with your grace, O God, that we might move from surprise to service and from doubt to faithfulness. By your Spirit, inspire and empower us to proclaim your good news in word and deed. Hear now the prayers we bring to you in silence. Friends, this is the good news of God's grace. Though we were sinners, Christ died for us. Though we were enemies of God, God loved us. Once we were lost and dead, now Christ has become our life and salvation. 
In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God.
Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, and the familiar story of Jesus and the woman at the well. I'll be reading selected verses. Listen for God's word. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Well, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. The woman said to him, Well, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then the disciples came, and they were astonished that Jesus was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? And then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Then they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. Jesus should not be in Samaria. He is a Jew and a rabbi at that someone who should know better than to defile himself by setting foot in a country like that. Jews and Samaritans are different races of people who practice different religions and hold different political views as well. But according to John, Jesus had to go to Samaria 
because he is the life and light of all people, the true light which enlightens everyone. Still, news that Jesus was in Samaria, talking with a woman in broad daylight, would have shocked John's first readers. His presence there and his actions there showed a callous disregard for the laws of their land and their religion. Jews did not talk with Samaritans, and men did not talk with women, at least not in public. But there he was, in Samaria, talking with a woman. This is the longest recorded conversation of Jesus in the entire New Testament. Jesus talks longer to the woman at the well than to any of his friends, his family members, or his disciples. And in John's Gospel, the woman at the well is the first person to whom Jesus reveals his identity. And in turn, she is the first evangelist, the first person to tell others about Jesus and bring them to faith. Given all the social, religious, and political realities of the day, it was a shocking story. And for many people, it still is. To paraphrase Barbara Brown Taylor, the woman at the well was a triple outsider. In the first place, she was a Samaritan, which made her a half-breed and a full pagan as far as the purists were concerned. She was also, of course, a woman, And in Jesus' time, women were not what you would call liberated. They were not even allowed to worship with men, whose morning devotions included the prayer, Thank God, I am not a woman. Women had no place in public life. They were not to be seen or heard, especially not by holy men, who did not speak to their own wives in public. But that is not all. She was a fallen woman a woman who had been married multiple times, a woman everyone talked about. Well, with all this in mind, we can see why the woman herself was just as shocked by what Jesus said and did as John's readers would have been. How is it, she asked, that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus' answer is somewhat surprising. He could have said, well, because I'm thirsty, which was undoubtedly true given his journey. He could have said, because I have no bucket with which to draw my own water, which was apparently true as well. But as John tells the story, Jesus had bigger, more important things to talk about. The sorts of things that led him to that country, that town, that well, and that woman. So he said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. It was a strange and somewhat confusing response to such a straightforward question. So strange, in fact, that the woman did not get what Jesus was talking about. Like Nicodemus, she took his words too literally. She questioned how he could get any kind of water out of the well, living or otherwise, since he had no bucket and the well was deep. But to paraphrase one scholar, the point of this story is this. Jesus is God's answer to the divisions of the world. Jesus is a reservoir of living water for all people. 
As I see it, this story is meant to show us a new normal, a way of living and working that better resembles the kingdom of God, a way that honors all people in all places, no matter their race, creed, color, or sex. More on that in a moment. This story provides us with an interesting and informative contrast with the story of Nicodemus. It is a contrast that underscores one of John's unifying themes. As you will recall, Nicodemus is a man, a Pharisee, an insider, a leader of the Jews who comes to Jesus by night. The unnamed woman is a Samaritan, a religious and political outsider, a person of low status and little worth who comes to Jesus by day. Whereas Nicodemus is unable to cross the religious and political boundaries of his day, the Samaritan woman risks moving ahead beyond those boundaries to engage Jesus in a theological debate. Like Nicodemus, she first interprets Jesus' words on a literal level. But unlike Nicodemus, she stays engaged and somehow manages to ask Jesus to give her what he had offered To borrow from Caroline Lewis, she's not certain that Jesus is the Christ, but she does not let that stop her from leaving behind her water jug, going into the city, and inviting the people to their own encounter with Jesus. She demonstrates what can happen when we engage one another in conversation and questions about our faith. The woman at the well shows us that faith is about dialogue about growth and change. It's not about having all the answers. As I said a moment ago, John's story is meant to show us a new normal, a new way of living and working together that better resembles the kingdom of God, a way that honors all people in all places, no matter their race or creed. It is meant to get us out of our comfort zones, and end to the messy work of God's kingdom, work that endeavors to bring people together, not tear them apart. In last week's meditation, I said that we are in uncharted waters, brought on by a fast-moving virus we know little about. I noted that we had been instructed to distance ourselves from one another for a few weeks or perhaps even a few months. And so... Here we are, worshiping again remotely. This, of course, is not the new normal that I, or even John for that matter, had in mind. I also said last week that while we must temporarily distance ourselves from others physically, we must not do so mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Truth be told, we've been asked to distance ourselves from others by many different people, and for many different reasons, for many years now. We've been asked to distance ourselves from people of differing colors and classes, along with people from differing religious and political affiliations. And this is true not just here in America, but in many other countries as well. I don't know about you, but I find all of this to be antithetical to the gospel. As I see it, none of this is in keeping with the life and teachings of Jesus. To the contrary, the new normal Jesus envisions 
is one that brings people closer together, not one that breaks them farther apart. And as I see it, this means that we and others who claim to be his followers must look for new ways of connecting with people, especially in a time as this. Because if Jesus is a living reservoir of living water for all people, then it follows that we must learn to live and act accordingly, which is to say with an eye and a heart for all people, not just for people who look and think and act like us. Historians note that it often takes a common threat to bring people together. It seems to me that this new pandemic has the potential to do just that. Say what you will about the coronavirus, it does not discriminate based upon one's nationality or tribe, or on one's religion or politics, or on any other worldly distinction. It treats everyone equally. So maybe, just maybe, it will prompt our religious and political leaders and we ourselves to embrace a new normal, one that brings us closer together instead of breaking us apart. There are all kinds of new normals these days. Washing our hands, not shaking hands, sheltering in place, avoiding crowds, not eating out, dealing with shortages of goods and services, and learning how to work and worship virtually, just to name a few. But the best one, perhaps, the one that will matter the most in the long run, the one that is clearly more Christ-like, is the one that looks for new ways to bring us and all people together, not keep us apart. So to that end, dear friends, I urge you to do two things. First, be on the lookout for suggestions from your staff and officers here at the meeting house as to how to keep us connected. And the second is this, to offer your own suggestions as well, so that together we can continue to serve as a vital part of Christ's body. And maybe, just maybe, bring some semblance of healing to those who are hurting. Amen. While we are not gathered in person, we are indeed joined and grounded by the faith we share. As we live into this new way of being community, we encourage you to check the website, sign up for the weekly egram, join the hashtag connect group via the member login on our website. If you need help with any of these things, you may contact the church office. The staff is all still working. We're just doing it remotely as much as possible. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us by phone or email. We are beginning to explore how to offer some activities of the church through virtual connections. Mary and the high school youth held a wonderful youth group meeting by Zoom a few days ago. The weekly egram will share information on such opportunities for study and prayer. You may contact our office manager, Mark Wills, for the list of prayer concerns normally included in the bulletin insert. And we encourage you to continue supporting the church financially through this time. We also encourage you, as I know is on so many of your hearts and minds, 
to seek out ways you can support those who are economically vulnerable or socially isolated in this time. May we continually keep our eyes open for love and compassion and grace in the midst of the challenges we face. And with that thought, let us join together in prayer. God of the ages, we come before you in this time of fear and uncertainty, when so much that we take for granted has been disrupted and we are not sure when or how it will end. We lift up to you, God, our fears, fears for our own health and fears for those people close to our hearts who are particularly vulnerable. We lift up to you our sorrow at being separated from those we love, especially not knowing when it will end. We lift up to you our impatience and distress and frustration at the things we cannot do and at all the changes in our daily lives. We lift up to you our children's disappointments and yearnings for all that has been taken away. We lift up to you our fears about what the future might hold. We lift up to you, God, all afflicted by the coronavirus, and we are particularly mindful of the sorrow and suffering in Italy and China. Around the world and here at home, we lift up to you the strains on the healthcare workers and on the economically vulnerable and on parents and children who don't have good options during this time. We lift this all up to you, God, and we pray. We pray for each person, wherever they are, that your presence might sustain them and sustain us in our particular anxieties, struggles, sorrows, and needs. We pray for scientists and healthcare workers and government leaders and citizens and neighbors that together we might all do our part. We pray that your light might shine in us and through us in all that we face. God, hear our prayer this day. And God, we also pray for the ongoing needs of our communities and our world. As our attention gets swallowed up by our own anxieties and strains, we continue to pray for people around the world who suffer from violence or warfare, for those who are persecuted or oppressed. We pray for refugees trying to make their way. We continue to pray for those who do not have enough to eat or a safe place to live or the health care they need. We continue to pray for those with cancer or heart disease or mental illness or any of the host of other things that afflict our lives and weigh heavily upon us. We continue to pray for those who are lonely, for those struggling in their relationships, for those who grieve. We continue to pray for this planet, for this complex, beautiful creation 
that you have made and entrusted to us. We continue to pray, God. We continue to pray. And in the midst of all this, we remember your words. Be still and know that I am God. We remember your steadfast love in all generations, and we think of people of faith who have turned to you over the ages, in times of war and famine and disaster and plague. We remember that you are God, and we put our trust in you. And so, God, we pray together praying with brothers and sisters around the world in China and Italy and South Korea and Iran and countless countries, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, springing up like living water, fill your heart and flow through your life. 
this day and every day. Amen.